Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we strive to present the truth and love of Jesus to the heart of our community through music, art, and public speaking. Today, we continue with our study through the Bible, and we hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's get started. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, yes, good morning. Have you enjoyed your break this weekend? By break, I mean this. Maybe most of you, like me, work kind of Monday through Friday, and then you get the weekend off. Yes, anyone? So that's a break for you. How about this break in the weather? Say amen. That was wonderful. Uh, Wake up, please. Thank you very much. In Jesus' name. I just prayed a little bit there. Um, No, and maybe most importantly, your favorite break of the week is actually a break from me. I'm not preaching this week. Yay! Thank you, yes. I have one fan in the room. That's awesome. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce to you in a moment uh, Tiffany Daniel. Tiffany Daniel sitting here, and she, uh, she is our Children and Family Ministry Ministries Director here at the church, and she is a impressive young lady. Uh, a couple months back, somebody shut that door for me. Anyone's fine. Uh, a number of months back, my wife and I were invited to go to a dinner at a fundraiser. It was a fundraiser for a local ministry of some sort. And they invited us to come sit at a table with some strangers, which is always a blast, right? And they do this little presentation thing, feed you some uh, warmed up pasta. And, and then they ask you to give them money. It's a blast. You guys have been to all these things, right? These are so fun. Um, But at our table was Tiffany and her husband, Colby, and we're getting to know them a little bit better. Um, And at some point, she stands up, and I assume to go to the restroom. No. She actually gets up and gets on stage and then presents for the next 15 minutes. And I was so impressed by that because, number one, I know what it's like to stand on a stage and and talk. And you have to stay focused, and you have to, like, and I would have been no fun at the table, but I never would have known that she was going to speak in a few minutes. She was cool right? And calm. I'd be sweating bullets. I'd be thinking to myself, Jeff, don't forget to say this. Don't forget to say this. Make sure to zip up your pants. (laughs) That's a legit thing. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. (laughs) You do it once and no one lets you forget it. (laughs) But I I was most impressed, not with just how calm she was and how collected she seemed to be. I was most impressed by how God, um, used her. God used her to present to us and everyone in the room his heart and his love for some of the least privileged people in the world. And when Tiffany joined us on staff, it was, she wasn't here but a few weeks when I approached her and I said, would you, would you like to teach on some Sunday morning? Um, assuming I would have to convince and possibly even coerce her. And she said yes. And so um, she's here today to share with us. So would you put your hands together and welcome to the stage, Tiffany Daniel. So, (laughs) thank you. Um, I'm really privileged to be able to stand up here and share something that's really close to my heart today. Um, Today is a day that we call Orphan Sunday. And Orphan Sunday is not something that's specific to Renaissance. It's not something that we made up. It's actually a day that's being celebrated across churches in the United States. And so what Orphan Sunday is, it's a day to recognize that there are actually millions of children out there without a place to call home. And so today... Today we're going to talk about what that means, what that looks like, and what it means for us as a church. 
Now, I know for a lot of you, to even mention the term orphan is going to evoke some sort of emotion. Some of you are really freaked out right now. You're afraid that I'm going to interrupt your life and tell you to go out there and adopt all the babies. And for others, you might be hopeful. You've been trying to convince your spouse that it's time to adopt. So you're like, yes, here we are. This is why I brought you to church today. But I just want to put your mind at ease that I actually don't feel like it's my job to stand up here and convince you to do anything at all. All I want to do today is to present you with information, and then I want you to take that information and pray about it and consider what God would have you to do. So before I continue, I'd like to pray and to put everyone's mind at ease, and I pray that we're going to be open to hear what God is asking us to do. So pray with me if you would. Jesus, I thank you so much for this day that you've set aside, God, to talk, to talk about something that is so precious and so near and dear to your heart, God. Lord, you've called us to care for orphan and vulnerable children, God, and I pray that today that you will speak to us in a way that will be appropriate for our families, God. I pray that you will show us a way that we might be able to serve in your kingdom in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I start with the heavy stuff and the statistics, um, I'd like to start by sharing my personal story with you. So Jeff is more than capable of sharing information about orphans and how you might be able to help in the orphan crisis. But he asked me to speak today because um, adoption has recently become a part of our story. And now adoption has actually always been a part of my plan. It's always something that I've wanted to do as much as you can plan out your lives. I remember in high school talking with my girlfriends about how our future families might look like because that's just a weird thing that teenage girls do. And so as we were discussing what our future families might look like, I remember sharing with them that I always wanted to adopt. That was one way that I always wanted to add to my family. And so when I met my husband, we decided to start our family the traditional way, and we welcomed into our family our daughters. Um, Evelyn was the first, and then we welcomed our daughter Charlotte. And when we began to think about what the rest of our family might look like, we decided now would be the right time to adopt. This is when we wanted to start. So that process started for us in May of 2016. That is whenever we filled out our adoption application to bring our son Henry home from China. Now, we had a lot of questions regarding our choice to adopt. Some people assumed that may maybe I was no longer able to conceive children, um, and a lot of people question our choice to adopt from outside of the United States. Um, now, I had a lot of answers to all of those questions, but what it comes down to is when God calls you to do something, it may not make sense to the people around you, and it doesn't have to. You don't have to defend the calling that God has on your life. He doesn't need you to defend him or his purpose for you. And it makes me think about Renaissance too. It makes me think about when Jeff had this idea to start this church, and when he began sharing that with people, they questioned him. They had some pushback. They thought, do we really need another church in Decatur? And I wonder where all of us would be today if he chose to listen to those people instead of listening to God. So I just want to encourage you for a moment that if you do feel like you have that God-given idea, to hold on to that for a while, to keep it protected and safe until you build up your confidence a bit. Because I know people that are well-intentioned whenever they have those questions for you, but it can shake your confidence a bit, and sometimes we let those God-given ideas fall to the wayside instead of continuing on with them. 
Now, the rest of my adoption story is not necessarily a glamorous one or what I used to think. In my mind, I had this idea of adoption that you would simply see a picture of your child, you would instantly fall in love, and then the rest is history. That is not how my story went. And the more I share my story, the more I'm coming to realize that my story is more common than the glamorous one that we often think about. So my husband and I, after we started our adoption application, we went through the mountains of paperwork. I'm sure most of you, if you know anyone in your life who's adopted, you've heard of those mountains of paperwork. But on December of 2017, we finally received that call from our caseworker. She was emailing me the file of a little boy that she wanted me to take a look at. I remember being so excited. My husband and I were both at work at the time. I remember frantically messaging him, all while trying to keep it a secret from my coworkers. Uh, Much like a pregnancy, the announcement, it's a good idea if your husband knows first. Um, so that was one thing. But also, we only had two weeks to make our final decision. So from the time we got his file, we had two weeks to decide if he was, in fact, the right fit for our family. And so we wanted to be very careful about the decision that we were making. Uh, What some people may not realize is in the case of international adoption, a lot of those are considered special needs adoptions. Now, that can mean anything from something super minor like a missing finger uh, to something with more more severe medical special needs. But even in the case of domestic adoptions, there are still certain considerations that need to be made for your unique family. And so we wanted to be very careful of outside influence and not to let that sway our judgment. So we received some pictures, a few videos, and a little information about our little guy. And I was, of course, smitten with his little face from the moment that I saw him. I think they had a picture up here of what he looked like, and he is the cutest little boy that I've ever seen. And so I was, of course, smitten with his little face. Um, But now things were becoming more real. And so it was no longer just a thought, no longer just an idea, but we actually had a decision to make at this point. And I didn't have that love at first sight moment that some people talk about having. And so fear started to enter the picture. I thought, how do you make a decision based on the very little information that you're given? Because this is in fact a life-changing decision. So my emotions were all over the place. There was this feeling that of course I would say yes, I had no reason not to, but so much fear of the unknown. And fear is such a funny thing, isn't it? There have been so many times in the past where fear has entered the picture and tried to paralyze me. And this was absolutely one of those moments. The Bible talks a lot about fear. It talks very clearly about two distinct types of fear. There is the fear of the Lord, which is a healthy fear. It's not about being afraid, but it's more of a reverence and a respect for God. And that type of fear is healthy and good. But that's not really the type of fear that we experience. A lot of us experience this type of fear from time to time. For some of us, it's on a daily basis. It can be fear of the unknown, like what I was experiencing, fear of failure, fear based on past experience. That type of fear actually has very little value in our lives. And God is clear when he talks about that type of fear. He says to fear not, not to worry, and to cast all of our anxieties onto him. You actually have a choice to make when it comes to fear. Um, 
that fear has very little power in our lives unless we allow it to. So we have a choice to make. We allow that fear to come in and to dwell on that fear and allow it to dictate our actions, or we choose to give that fear over to God and move forward. And that's one thing that God taught me through this process is that he is in control and he just may ask you to do that thing that he's calling you to do in spite of all the fear that you're feeling. And it's up to us to continually take our thoughts captive and to trust him when we're feeling afraid. So my husband and I said yes, and the next few months were filled with finishing the last bits of paperwork and working out our travel details. And on March 20th of 2017, we met our son Henry for the first time in China. Now, while we were in China, we were there for two weeks. We spent that time um, soaking up the culture, going to appointments, and getting to know our new little guy. <clears throat> now, he was not a fan of me, though. And <laughs> I had prepared for some rejection. That was completely normal. We were strangers, after all. But in my mind, I was preparing to comfort my husband when he was the one getting rejected, <laughs> not me. <laughs> so... Of course, that only continued to feed into those feelings of fear that I had from the very beginning because things were not necessarily going as planned. It wasn't exactly what I expected. I will say, though, that he did start to warm up to me. Even before we left China, he was warming up to the idea of me. And anyone who knows him now would be shocked to know that he was not a mama's boy from day one because he is attached to my side now. Now, fast forward to our time home. This is when he was introduced to his sisters for the first time, and aunts and uncles and grandparents. There was so much joy and so much excitement around that. But in the midst of all of that joy and excitement, I have to be honest, it was one of the most difficult times of my life. Nothing can adequately prepare you for this type of adventure. So I'd done all of the required reading and research, but the day-to-day -day life was a bit more difficult than what I expected. There's a big difference between knowing something and living something out. And so when I said that he rejected me in China, it's because we were strangers. That's to be expected. He had no say in the situation. Um, he wasn't told that we were coming. And even if he was told, he was only three and a half. There's no way that he could possibly process that information. And at this point, I had only had girls in my house, and now I was introducing into the family a boy. And that was weird and different. <laughs> There's a huge learning curve there. And it's very different from bringing home a newborn baby from the hospital. This was a toddler with an opinion, but it was an opinion that I couldn't understand because he spoke Mandarin and we spoke English. And so there was a huge learning curve whenever it came to this. And um, my kids were also quite young at the time. So my oldest daughter was five, my son was three and a half, and my youngest daughter was two. And um, all the parents in the room can understand when I say there are a lot of needs that need to be met and at the same exact time. So I remember one morning in my kitchen, in the hustle and bustle of the morning, trying to get everybody ready and just feeling like, this was so hard. So I was praying to God and saying, God, this is so difficult and not quite what I expected. And I feel like I'm in over my head here and I don't know what to do. You see, 
before I knew it, before I realized it, I had stopped taking those thoughts captive and I let the fear take control. And so as I was praying, I was saying, God, what if I'm doing all of this? I'm doing all the mom things and I'm loving my son unconditionally, but what if he never loves me back? Without me even realizing it, that was my fear in that moment. I was fearing that I would be pouring out all of my love to my son and I would not receive anything back. And God spoke to me so clearly and quickly, thankfully, in that moment. And he said, that is not what I've asked you to do. He never asks us to love with an expectation in return. And in the Bible, he talks about this when the Pharisees say, okay, Jesus, like we know you have all of these uh, commandments, so like tell us the best one. What's the one we really need to focus on? And it's funny because he doesn't just answer with one. He answers with two. And the first one is to love God above everything else. And the second one is to love others. And he never finished that by saying to love with any sort of expectation, to love to get something in return. And so in that moment, it was a reminder for me to continue to take my thoughts captive because I had forgotten to do that. And it also shifted my perspective. It doesn't, think, it doesn't mean that things magically got better, but it reminded me why we were doing this in the first place. I'm also coming to realize that part of the difficulty that we experienced is simply because adoption was never God's original plan for a family. Now hear me out when I say that. A lot of what we experience in this world was not God's original plan for us. Because sin entered the world, we experienced things like suffering and brokenness and poverty, and God never intended any of that for us. But because of his grace and his love and his mercy for us, he's always making other ways, always cleaning up our messes, and that's where adoption has entered the picture. In Ephesians 1.5, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So even though adoption was not his original plan, he not only created it, but he showed us what adoption looks like by first adopting us into his family. So again, I don't feel like it's my job to stand up here and try to convince you to adopt just because that's what our family chose to do. I believe there are a lot of other ways that we can care for orphan and vulnerable children. Remember when I said that there is in fact an orphan crisis. The statistics are overwhelming. It's estimated that there are over 153 million orphans worldwide. Now, when I used to hear the term orphan, I assumed that they were talking about true orphans, meaning that these were children without a living mother or father. And that actually could not be further from the truth. Most of these children do have a living parent. And if they don't have a living parent, they at least have a close living relative. Another statistic is that abandonment of children in Europe found that in over 90% of the cases, most children were abandoned because of poverty and homelessness. Church, these statistics are extremely overwhelming, and it makes me wonder, for those of us who call themselves Christians, what are we doing about this? What has God called us to do to care for orphan and vulnerable children? I meant it when I said that we're not all called to adopt, but we are all called to do something. 
I believe that families are meant to stay together. I believe the ideal option is for families to stay how they were originally designed. It should not be our mission to save children from their poor families. It should be our mission to come around these families and support them in their time of need. What I want you to consider today is what is Jesus calling you to do? And that will look different for all of us. I want you to understand that it goes beyond even adoption. We can't put one way of serving orphan and vulnerable children above another. There's room for all of it. Um, there are actually so, so many ways to be involved with orphan and vulnerable children. I was feeling pretty overwhelmed with how to get this information out to you, how to explain all of the ways that you can care for orphan and vulnerable children. I thought, Maybe I can make a handout of 100 ways that you can serve orphans, um, but that would be a complete waste of time because <laughs> I know what most people do with handouts. They don't usually make it home. They're tossed in the trash or they don't get looked at. Um, but I believe that if we are to pray for wisdom, that God will in fact give us those ideas. And so today I wanna share with you three neat and tidy categories, three ways that you can be involved. And I've broken these down into prevention, intervention, and adoption. So prevention is the first way that we're gonna, t is the first thing that we're gonna talk about. Prevention involves caring for families before they are in crisis. So knowing that most children are abandoned because of poverty and homelessness, it's imperative that we look into this issue. Um, even right here in Decatur, we see a prevalence of homelessness all around us. It's really easy to simply see them as another fixture in this community and to sometimes not even see them as human. We see it so often that we become desensitized and sometimes develop an apathy towards them. We become fearful of giving because we don't want to be taken advantage of, and we may even sometimes de deem them as unworthy or undeserving because we think we know what got them into the situation that they're in. I wonder, though, what if we begin to see them the way that Jesus sees them? If we begin to see them as children of God with worth and potential, if we expect to see an end to the orphan crisis, this is exactly where it starts. We've got to start by breaking the cycle of poverty. So I'm not necessarily talking about your money either. A lot of times when we mention issues of homelessness or poverty, a lot of people are like, okay, fine, let's just throw some money on the problem and it'll go away. Sometimes though, it will take our time and our effort even more than our money. But it's not necessarily natural for us to want to give, whether it be our time or our money. Um, but Jesus talks about these type of issues, okay? In the book of Matthew, when he starts talking about issues such as lust and anger and divorce, uh, Matthew 5, 21, it'll be up on the screen for you. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And this is where Jesus comes to shake things up a bit. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So we look, at these we look at this passage and we say, there it is, murder. That's the problem. That's the issue. But Jesus is saying, wait a second. 
This started long before the action. The problem started with the anger in your heart. It started long before the actual action of murder. And if we jump to Matthew 5, 27, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, we look at that and we say, adultery is the issue. Adultery is the problem. And Jesus is saying, that's not, the problem. The problem started long before the action. The problem starts in our heart. We need Jesus because our hearts are messed up. It's not easy and it's not natural for us to want to give, whether it be our time or our money. For some of us, it's going to be a lot easier to throw money on the problem and call it good. For others, we would never want to give our money and just give our time. But all I want to know is, have you checked in with God about it? because giving your money is good and giving your time is good. But if you're only doing those things because you think it's good enough, we need to make sure that we're asking Jesus, is it in fact enough? Now, there are countless ways to serve, whether it be your time or your money, right here in our community. We even have people in this congregation that work in nonprofit organizations, such as the Pregnancy Resource Center or the Salvation Army and the other nonprofit organizations that are already in our community designed to serve these families. Now, with that being said, God won't call us all to serve in that area either. So that's the prevention side of things. That's one way that you can serve orphans, and it's by preventing the orphans to begin with, by serving those families that are in need. Another way that you can serve, though, is by in, uh, intervention, by being involved with the families that are already in crisis. Now, this might mean becoming a foster family. Now, foster care in the United States is designed in such a way so that ultimately children will be reunited with their biological families. Now, ironically, that is why a lot of people shy away from the foster care system to begin with. They think I can never get involved with something like that because it would be way too painful. They can't stand the thought of giving their time or their love or their resources, all for it to be ripped away in a matter of months or even years. And I understand it would be extremely painful and it would be difficult, but when we begin to realize that this world is not about us, it's not about our comfort, our perspective will shift from I could never to how could I not. And I understand it's not an easy thing to ask people to be involved in this area. It does tend to interrupt our idea of the American dream. We're taught that if we work really hard, we deserve the vacations, the nice cars, the stuff, the shoes, enter whatever your thing may be, um, that, we are, that we get that stuff for ourselves. And then we reach an age where we deserve retirement. We've worked really hard for it and we deserve this comfort. From what I've seen though, when we're working so hard for the vacations and the stuff and we're working towards retirement, you've gotta work so hard for all of that, you have very little time left over for anything else. And when we're working towards the stuff and the comfort, where does Jesus fit into all of that? Now, when we work so hard to earn our money, it can become increasingly more difficult to part with, especially to people that we've deemed as unworthy or undeserving. And it makes me wonder, where does Jesus fit into all of this? 
And it's not an issue of wealth either. It's not about if you're super wealthy and you have the nice cars and you have the nice stuff that that's the problem, because that's not the case. The idea of the American dream permeates every aspect of our socioeconomic status. So it doesn't matter how much money you're making, even those of us that aren't making very much at all are still working towards this idea of the American dream. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is our greatest example. And it said that he came to serve. So how are we serving other people? And to ask somebody to become a foster family is a big, big deal. And so maybe you're feeling like that is, in fact, not your thing. Well, you can also care for foster families. And you can actually care for foster families in really big ways that may seem small to you, but huge for them. And when I was trying to consider... Um, how to introduce you to some of these families. So I'm not normally over here. I'm normally in the annex. And so I see some of these foster families come through. I know who they are. It would not be possible for me to introduce all of you to all of them. It's going to take some intentionality on your part. If this is where you feel like God is calling you to serve, it's going to take some time for you getting to know the people that you're sitting next to every single week, getting to know who they are and what their needs are. And then you would be able to meet some of those needs. But again, God won't call us all into those areas either. So there's the prevention side, the intervention side, and the last thing I want to leave you with is adoption. When I said there's room for all of it, this is included. And I hear every reason in the book as to why people feel like they can't adopt. Uh, you think you're too old. When I was in China adopting my son Henry, there was a woman in her 60s bringing home her third child, and this child was only six years old. Does that sound crazy to most of us? Yes, I agree with you. I share that story, though, not to make you feel guilty. If you're in here today, maybe it's your 60th birthday, you don't have to go adopt. That's not the point of this. What is so cool about that story, though, is that she did not assume that God was done with her. She did not assume that because of her age that there was nothing left for her to do. She was bold enough and brave enough to actually ask God, what about me? What's next? What can I do? And again, if becoming adoptive, if adopting is not your thing, I understand as long as you're checking in with God about it, I'm okay with it. But you can also care for adoptive families, much like you can care for foster families. Now I can speak from personal experience on this. One of the best things that anyone ever did for our family was my friend would call me on the way to her groceries, on the way to the grocery store and ask if I needed anything at all. Now I was never someone that could easily accept help. Maybe that's some pride. Um, but in this moment, I was more than happy to say yes. And it was one of the best things that she ever could have done. And I'm thankful that she didn't share the idea with anyone because someone may have laughed it off and said, that's too small, that's too insignificant. But here I am two, two years later standing up here telling you what a big deal that was. So she simply went to the grocery store, picked up the bunch of bananas and the gallon of milk and dropped it off on my front porch. She didn't even expect to come inside. She didn't insinuate that by meeting my need that she could catch a glimpse of our newly formed family. She was content with meeting the need and then moving on. And that was so amazing to me. 
And it taught me how Jesus can truly, truly use people in some big ways that may seem small to them, but they make such a huge impact. So I don't feel like I need to stand up here today and give you a hundred ways that you can serve orphan and vulnerable children. We serve such a unique and creative God. I am confident that if you're bold enough and brave enough to ask God, that he will assign you what you can do as a unique individual, how you can serve orphan and vulnerable children. I see two things happen though. I see people assume that they can't help in this situation. I see people assume that they're too old or they're too broke or they're too busy, but there are millions of children out there and millions of families out there that cannot afford for us to sit on the sidelines and assume that God is done with us. And I don't want you to be afraid to ask either. I remember hearing a story one time about a missionary and he knew that God was calling him into the mission field. And so when he was trying to figure out where he was supposed to, supposed to go, he would pray to God and say, God, where are you calling me to? I'll go anywhere you want me to go except for Africa. For whatever reason, he deemed Africa as scary and he didn't want to go there. And so he's praying, he say, God, send me. Where do you want me to go? I'll go anywhere you want me to go except for Africa. Just where do you want me to go? And so he kept praying and for months and he never heard anything from God. And so finally out of desperation, he's like, okay, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Just send me. I'm willing to go wherever. And God answered him and he said, listen, I never wanted you to go to Africa. I just wanted you to be willing. God just wants us to be willing. He'll use those of us that are willing. So I'm just asking that you be bold enough and brave enough to ask God what he would have you to do. And don't be afraid of the answer. It doesn't mean that he's automatically going to tell you that you have to do the scariest thing that's at the bottom of your list. He may just be asking you to simply drop off a bunch of bananas and a gallon of milk. And so today, I want to close us with a prayer, and I want it to be bold, I don't want it to be big, and for the next few moments, we, we already have this time set aside where we have a time to spend with God and to ask Him. Maybe you've never considered before helping with the orphan crisis. You thought maybe it wasn't something that your family should do. A lot of people assume that adoption is the only way to help. I hope that I provided you with other avenues, other ways that your family can help. But I don't need to stand up here and give you a specific way. I believe that Jesus can do that for you. So all I'm asking is that you be bold enough and brave enough to ask God what he would have you to do. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this time, God. Lord, I thank you that you've set aside this day, Lord that you have called us to help in this area with orphan and vulnerable children, God. Lord, I pray that you give us a boldness to do what you're calling us to do, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we would be open and willing to hear from you, Lord, and that you would speak to us so clearly, God. Lord, this is something that is close to your heart, that is near and dear to your heart, Lord God. I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see people the way that you see people and to love people the way that you love people, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, Lord, a passion and a desire to serve those people that are so close to your heart. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope this message was an encouragement to you. Walking in faith can be difficult, but we are constantly working to remind people of the truth and love of Jesus, and we want you to be a part of that. So head over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, or connect with us online at renaissancedecatur.org and help us make a difference in the heart of our city.